Wow. I'm imagining you're genuinely somehow not making sound doing that. <laughs> it is uh, kind of just the sound of rushing air. Oh, wow. You really were doing that. Oh, did you turn your mic off for it? No. Wow. No, I don't usually do much trumpeting for whatever reason. I think I have about 400 miles worth of sinus passages uh, <laughs> total surface area. <laughs> so I'm much like the uh, Paralophosaurus. Parasaurolophus? Whatever the fuck it is. <laughs> it's a fun <sighs> joke, and I had to just step on it instead. <laughs> Persarfaloth. Whatever. <laughs> Should we do this thing? Let's do this thing. All right, let me look at the document, because I don't know what I'm saying anymore. <laughs> I mean, it begins with just the straight, the, the normal... Uh, Welcome to Super Superstitious. The comedy podcast about the science behind the spooky and the strange. I'm oh, Jake. Oh, my. I'm Jake, I said. Oh, you said it? Okay, I okay, did, I'm yeah. Wyatt. Hi. This is the show where we talk about weird things, often spooky things, uh, but generally just odd stuff, and try and understand it better with the powers of what, what, science, science and, and friendship. friendship. is pretty much, those are the two lines on our current CV. <laughs> on most episodes, we'll usually, we'll have some kind of overarching theme for the episode, and then we'll each have researched some sort of story about that thing that, that fits in some way to tell the other for the first time. And then uh, we'll discuss it. Correct. This week we're doing a little bit different. We're there's a fucking fungus gnat flying around. Oh, get, get off me! Speaking of, well, fungus is actually pretty on point. We oh, are wow, going to is. do a uh, a zeitgeisty thing. We're going to try and like <laughs> tap into what's popular to see if we get more listens that way. Yeah, we're, we're talking really doing some <laughs> SEO hacking here, yeah, which we will probably never do again. And uh, <laughs> I mean, we kind of do it in March with the thing coming up. But, but this is this is a really special thing. We are covering. The Last of Us. The Last of Us. And in particular, the fungus associated with that, cordyceps. We're talking about the biology of The Last of Us, mm-hmm. which uh, some of you may know as a popular video game, which uh, came before this show. It's what the show's based on. Mm-hmm. And we will break down some of the uh, core scientific concepts propelling this mycological horror franchise mm-hmm. for y'all. I'll try to answer some of your most burning questions, like what cordyceps is? How do fungus go? A lot of our listeners uh, struggle to assemble (laughs) (laughs) sentences. And uh, also, is this particular brand of apocalypse a real possibility for our future? A concerning thought to Mm -hmm. have for sure. Definitely. Uh, If you've listened to this show before, you probably have a solid prediction of our answer for that. But as is frequently the case, uh, any debunking we do here today isn't intended to tear down a piece of media that exists just for fun. (laughs) If anything, we want to provide some peace of mind about a pretty creepy concept. So if we do... We're going to debunk it. We're going to... Yeah. But uh, yeah. (laughs) And uh, yeah, you know, that and hopefully teach y'all some more sciencey stuff. So, uh, you know, let's jump right into it. We'll do it. So to set the table for anyone who is hearing us mention a show or franchise called The Last of Us for the very first time on this podcast, welcome to popular culture. (laughs) The Last of Us, as I mentioned moments ago, is a video game franchise that has been turned into a TV show. The story takes place in, as we mentioned, a post-apocalyptic world where a fungal infection has turned most of humanity into monsters, basically zombies. Mm -hmm. And the story follows the journey of a man named Joel and a young girl named Ellie as they travel across the United States and they face, you know, dangerous enemies and have to navigate challenges. 
your typical post-apocalyptic fare. Exactly. No offense. In the first video game, which was released uh, somehow 10 years ago now in <laughs> so 2013, uh, players, I've, and also full disclosure, I've not played these games and I have not seen the show, so I'm sorry. I'm a total poser <laughs> to the throne here. Um, but we know science. But we know some science. And I have and, watched. Actually, and I, I'm a big Cordyceps fan. I so. do recommend the show because it's actually pretty fun. It's, I mean, it's I've heard bleak things. as hell, but it's, uh, it's good. I'm just a big baby. So, I feel you. Game came out 10 years ago. Players, you control Joel as he escorts Ellie across the country. Um, along the way, they encounter other survivors. You know, friendly, hostile. Got to figure out how to survive themselves. And uh, along the way, they become pals. Yeah. And then the second game, at least uh, seven years later, 2020, <laughs> continue, continues the story with Ellie, who's now a young woman. And we follow her quest. So the TV series has been widely praised for its storytelling, character development, and emotional impact. Uh, it turns out that the director of the TV show is a super huge fan of the video game, which you'd hope. Mm -hmm. But also, the the original creator of the game is a big fan of the director's work. So I, I read an article recently about them kind of burrowing out pretty hard, which is very encouraging for folks who may already be big fans of the game and have yet to take a take a swing at watching the show for fear of it ruining, you know, the flavor of the franchise. But anyhow, it's a good watch and alongside <laughs> you exploring. Assume. I yeah, I, I can only assume. Um and I have been told that alongside exploring themes of love, loss, survival, and morality, it also explores just how creeped out we can all become at the threat of fungal takeover. Yes. And I'm thinking about back in 2013, where we were, what the world was like, simpler times. Much simpler times. But also, I'm pretty sure that was... Cordyceps keeps making the rounds in like science bloggy kind of places. Oh, did you know there's a fungus that turns ants into zombies? And right. I am pretty sure 2013 was right in peak I fucking love science as a Facebook page. Oh, yeah. Posting stuff like that. And so I can... IFLS for those. Yes. And so I, uh, I definitely recall people getting super stoked about this, and then someone made a whole video game about it. There you go. But uh, if we really want to science it up while discussing this piece of sci-fi horror entertainment, it'll be helpful to cover some general background on fungal biology as a whole, just like you always wanted. Yeah, finally. Fungi are a kingdom of living things that include molds, mushrooms, and yeasts. So those are the basic kinds of things you could think of as fungus. Uh, as a recap, right. the kingdoms are animals, plants, fungi, bacteria, archaea, which are other microbes we don't have time to get into, yeah. and <laughs> protista, which is the taxonomic equivalent of other. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and there's some, like, this is like more of the US kind of uh, kingdoms. There's different, like in the UK, they have slightly different categorizations. Oh, interesting. Well, they united all their kingdoms, I heard. <laughs> Anyway, fungi share, fungi, fungi, I haven't made up my mind, so I'm probably going to say it both ways today. They share characteristics with several of the other kingdoms. So they want to say fungi. Fungi. Um, <laughs> Tha. <laughs> uh, they have stuff in common with the other kingdoms in ways that are kind of weird. It makes them really neat. Uh, they have especially a lot in common with plants, at least superficially. So they're often included in books about botany. Right. Uh, and when you see a fungus growing, it's not hard to see why. I mean, just think about a mushroom popping up out of the ground. It really does seem like a weird little plant, right? No. <laughs> Should have And like plants, fungi have cell walls. So plants have that. Animal cells do not have that. But fungi and plants both have that. 
Um, they can reproduce both sexually and asexually, and they produce spores, which ferns and mosses do. So some types of plants do that too. However, fungi are actually more closely related to us than they are to plants. Creepy. Really wild concept to wrap your head around, especially when you see a fungus like that can't be right. I taught intro uh, botany for a couple of years as a lab to undergrads, and we did have a section on the botany thing that was about fungus stuff. And it's just so weird because it really is such a departure from the plant stuff. Boy, howdy. Boy, howdy is right. Things that make them different from plants and more like us, they don't have chloroplasts like plants do, so they can't photosynthesize. They can't make their own food. Uh, In other words, they got to eat just like we do. Uh, Also, fun fact, the cell wall that I mentioned, animals don't have cell walls, like I said, but plants do. Anyway, instead of cellulose, like in plants, the fungal cell wall is made of a fancy combined polymer of chitin and glucan. Don't get scared out there now. <laughs> I'm not going to get into too much jargon stuff. What would we say chitin and glucan are? Basically polymers. I mean, they're proteins. They're proteins. <laughs> I mean, they're basically just polymers. <laughs> yeah, obviously. No, they're, they're types of protein. And chitin in particular is best known as the stuff bugs are made of. I was going to say. Yeah. Isn't that bug stuff? It's bug stuff. So it's the protein bugs, generally the exoskeleton of insects and arachnids and crustaceans and stuff like that. That is what that's made of is chitin. And the cell walls of fungus uh, cells is partly made of chitin as well. What the fuck? Really weird. So long story short, fungi, fungi I really can't make up my mind, are, they're weird. So is the pronunciation. They're How just, about they're, fungi? They're super weird. They're cool. But Jesus, are they weird. That's weird. <laughs> they can be multicellular and grow a bunch of thread-like things called hyphae. Or they can be mm. single-celled like yeast. Or they can sometimes switch between those totally different formats of living, depending on the conditions they're in. You may have heard the term mycelium thrown around since The Last of Us has been on the air. That is a thing they have mentioned on the show. Uh, Mycelium is the name for the network of hyphae, so those little fibers that spread out from a fungal colony. So like if you look at some bread mold up close and you see kind of fuzzy stuff going on, you get up close, it's actually made up a bunch of little tiny fibers. Mm. All of those fibers is a hypha, singular of hyphae, and all the hyphae together make up the mycelium. That's all it is. So it's just the name for the network of of little strands. Right. And then, of course, in the interest of making this as confusing as possible, <laughs> I'm going to wrap up by just briefly touching on fungal reproduction. I hated teaching this part. <laughs> Intro body was so confusing. And I'm going to try and keep it pretty broad because of that. Uh, I mentioned that they can reproduce sexually or asexually. This means that they can have offspring either by mating, for lack of a better word, or just by making more of themselves without a mate. So how does a fungus do it? <laughs> I don't remember a lot of the details, and I deliberately avoided them for this. I, a lot of it is just a kind of the hyphae kind of overlap, and then they will exchange genetic information. It's But it depends on the kind of fungus, because a lot of different fungi... It's fung- just like people. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of the different fungi types are so different from each other and how they do stuff. They're often classified by the type of reproduction that they go through. Nice. Uh, a lot to cover so i'm gonna leave it at just that that they can either mix genes with other individuals to make new fungi or they can just make clones of themselves which is also Mm. what you see plants sometimes do if they make little babies coming off like on a spider plant or or something that is technically a clone 
But of course, lots of species of fungus can do it both ways, depending on environmental conditions or the overall life cycle stage they're in. They might do asexual at one point and then later on sexual, and it's not just what they do. Why? Why wouldn't they be that confusing? Yeah, absolutely. The main takeaway is that fungi grow like we do by eating other biological material, and they get bigger in the form of making more and more hyphae. So they'll grow on something, eat that thing, and then put out little strands to uh, make more of themselves. That network of hyphae, the mycelium, often grows out of sight also. For example, underground. So if it's mushrooms and stuff, they'll be that network of, uh, of little fibers will be where you can't see it um, until the fungus is ready to reproduce. That's really the... I mean, the, the fruiting body is the business end, but the mm-hmm. mycelium is really the, the core creature. So, yeah, like Jake's saying, most most of the time, we don't really see the fungus. We just see its its fruit. Right. So when it's ready to make more of itself. And, and it's cool because there are whole forests that are just full of these, like, continuous networks. There's a couple different kinds of them that are, like, several acres large. Like, it's considered one continuous colony. So some of the so biggest. Crazy. It's so weird. And you may also have heard about like the idea of different um, like root fungus stuff, like fungi that grow on the roots of trees and things. They're called mycorrhizae. Um, They actually really help the trees grow. They have a whole network in forests and stuff too. Crazy stuff. We mostly just see, like you said, the fruiting body. So this is just a broad term for the structure that will put out spores. Uh, A mushroom is probably the most familiar version of a fungal fruiting body. But whatever form it takes, there's different kinds of things it can be. That structure's whole goal is just to release spores into the air to be dispersed by wind or rain or what have you. Mm-hmm. Spores, just little granule thingies, they can remain dormant for a long friggin' time. And then when they finally <laughs> find themselves in a decent medium for growing, so like the conditions are just right, they can just be totally dormant for, I think we found some that are centuries old and then they, they've right. actually been viable. There's evidence they can travel through space too. Am I wrong about this? Uh, they are on the space station. Like they have, they just find their way fucking everywhere. And I, I wow. don't know about but like existing in a vacuum and then surviving. I know like tardigrades can do that. I would be very unsurprised if spores do too. But then when they finally are in a condition where like, oh, here's a good place to grow into my whole deal, they <laughs> then will do that. They'll start a new colony and start putting out hyphae and all that jazz. Very often spores will just land on the ground. So they'll be on rotting plant matter too, or, or something like that bread i mentioned like to any kind of thing where it can go. they'll land on that and then they'll start growing into a colony new colonies do their thing eat that stuff they're on whatever but in the cases we're interested in today the medium in question can be living animals what yes quite quite horrifyingly this sort of thing really does happen so perhaps the more disturbing even than the imagery and frights of the last of us is the pure and simple fact that there really is a group of fungi 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 Fung. out there that more or less do exactly what we see in the show it's just that the zombified hosts are exclusively and i can't stress this enough arthropods <laughs> Which are, so we're talking crabs spiders insects anything where the skeleton's on the outside <laughs> yes and that skeleton is made of chitin chitin just like the fungus. so here's some basic biology of Cordyceps, which is a group of fungi that have this pathway as their their method of uh, sustenance, I guess we could say. So mm-hmm. believe it or not, there are over 400 different species of fungus. Fungus within Cordyceps. <laughs> I, I've ruined you. <laughs> Most of which are found in tropical regions. So for our, uh, you know, 
temperate deciduous contingent rest assured you will only see cordyceps insanely on the supplement shelf but i would not blame <laughs> you if you wanted to avoid those jars because they have my supplements creepy. yeah what are they enough, for they just are like <laughs> basic nutrients for you Go back a few episodes where we talk about vitamin C and talk yeah. about how a lot of that stuff is a scam, and now think about taking cordyceps as a, as a vitamin thing. And <laughs> I'm, I'm jumping ahead of myself here. Evidently, they are used as a medicinal, you know, option in some communities. Huh. But you know, I would say do your own homework on that, and remember, as Jake said. <laughs> what we said a few episodes ago people um, want your money is where it really comes down to yeah but. yeah yeah exactly anyway um, i interrupted your your cordyceps duck not, not at all no 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 uh it's all connected so much like the hyphen <sighs> fundamentally these fungi are parasites so mm. they have to infect and feed on insects arthropods even other fungi in some cases in order to reproduce life cycle of cordyceps begins like all fun fungi spores land on a host organism and this is another crazy part cordyceps are extremely host specific so from one species to the next they have essentially only one species of arthropod that they are going to infect we are obviously most familiar with the ant varieties but there are essentially species of cordyceps that affect you know moths grasshoppers i think in planet earth or planet earth 2 or life one of those like bbc they do documentaries like a really cool rundown don't they and they have like a cool series of like just panning shots showing yeah the dead like the end result of each of these for all these different kinds of bugs very worth a watch uh and truly ghoulish i mean this stuff yeah. is spooky as hell so life cycle begins a spore lands on the appropriate host the spores then germinate, penetrate into the host's body where they begin to grow and develop. Once inside, the fungus takes control of the host's behavior. It gets right up into the brain and forces the host to move to a location that is favorable for the fungus to grow and reproduce. Typically, this involves climbing up to a very high point. And then, you know, as we see with the ants, the host is compelled to essentially bite down where it's made its way mm -hmm. and just stay that way. And the fungus continues to grow, continues to consume the host's organs and tissues. Eventually, the host dies, mercifully, I guess. Mm -hmm. And uh, as soon as it's kind of drained all it can out of the host, it will uh, shoot out the fruiting body and around and around we go. This can lead to some pretty ghoulish stuff. I mean, already your skin should be crawling <laughs> just at the mention of all this, but there are some crazy videos of um, cordyceps at work. In this first one, there is a cicada. Basically, we will watch a cicada crawl and most of its body is missing. Oh, wow. That is a whole lot of not cicada still walking. Wow. I wouldn't have guessed they could actually survive that much like tissue being eaten. It's just, it looks totally hollowed out. It's just like a husk. It's not moving very fast, but yeah, it is just, uh, it's not much. Focus your camera, dude. I want to see this weirdness. Oh, it's agonizing. That is, uh, as a pair of folks who have, who have studied bugs in general, especially bees, over and over again when collecting like different specimens over the summertime and stuff, I found myself thinking, man, am I glad I'm a large vertebrate? Yes. Because there are so many parasites and parasitoids and God, they yep. do a lot of weird ass stuff. All right, that's We're, that's we're just talking about cordyceps today. There are yeah. nematodes that'll fuck your life up if you're a bug. And There's wasps like, that'll like eat yes, you from the inside wasps. out. Like, oh, oh my oof. God. 
Let's check out this beetle. This looks pretty horrible too. Beetle is basically the same story. Yep. Most of the the whole abdomen is like just an empty husk. And actually, it's the point where only the front legs are still working, but it's still just crawling along as best it can. Wow. Oh, the thorax is all largely hollowed out. Jeez Louise. But it's still moving. That is nuts. Wild. We're yes. still figuring out exactly how the... The mechanism for how... Yes, exactly. The mechanism the, at the molecular level, what's what's going on that allows cordyceps to puppeteer its hosts. It's doing a ratatouille, just an internal ratatouille. It's doing a ratatouille. So instead exactly. of, they don't have hair to pull on, so they're like making fibers that they then pull on and then it just does it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And some say that cordyceps' ultimate goal is to produce the most delicious form of spaghetti possible. <laughs> um, but yeah, that is the upsetting and all too real biology of cordyceps mm-hmm. and just um just to keep this as creepy as possible i remembered as you're talking about this i totally forgot about a species i learned about totally by accident as i came across the results of its works Ooh, cordyceps is a totally a, a specifically tropical species but if you live anywhere else not tropical in the world you can look forward to a species called, not just a genus like that, but just one species called Entomophthora muscae, which... Uh, Why is this familiar? I probably, I know I brought it up to you at one point, maybe even on the show, I'm not sure. It does the basically same exact thing, except it only targets insects in the order Diptera. So that mm. is flies, any kind of fly. So it has two wings, Diptera, Diptera, oh, now we know. They live all over the place. <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry. Um, I'm looking at the map here. We, all over North America, a little bit into Central and South America. Um, you got them in Iceland and around Europe, a little bit of uh, Russia, South Africa, part of like Indonesia. Is this another like fungus? Australia. This is a fungus. It does the same exact thing. So what it does is, is a little. its fruiting body isn't the same. It doesn't put like a mushroom type thing out of the head of a, an ant or something. Right. It's not quite as dramatic. But it will do the same thing. The spores will manage to get inside of a fly. And then as the hyphae system grows, it gets control over the fly's behavior. And then it will cause the fly to land somewhere high up and hold on and spread its legs and wings out wide. And then they die. And then the the fruiting part comes out. It's just like kind of just fluff. It looks like comes out between the sections of the um, exoskeleton. And then it releases spores to repeat Ugh. the process. I found a bunch of crane flies uh, in uh, Rockbridge State Park in Columbia, Missouri. For Missouri listeners, I was there and I saw a bunch of crane flies on rocks. And they were all clearly had fungus growing out of them. It's just that fuzziness. It looks like mold. I was like, what the hell is this? I oh, took pictures God. and I did some research. And yeah, there is a temperate fungus that also makes zombie bugs. Oof. Spooktacular. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. This is reminding me as well. This is a little bit of a tangent, but there's, I think it's a kind of nematode. It has a very complex life cycle, but basically it infects snails. Oh yeah. It's gross. It needs to be consumed by a bird. It needs the snail to be eaten. And then it finishes its like life cycle in a bird and then it gets pooped out. And then the snail comes in, I guess, munches on bird poop or something like this. Or the poop somehow gets into the snail again. So crazy like multi-host system. It doesn't affect the birds in any way, but the snails, I remember watching a show where this was featured it causes their eye stocks to become extremely inflamed and, and then like it pulsate like, in col- it like bright pulsates colors. with color and stuff. 
to be an attractive oh target for a bird. Like, hey, check out this thing you can eat. And the bird will just exactly. swoop by and grab it. And then it just goes I just, to the next life I remember stage. watching that on a show and just feeling so heartbroken for the snail. I think it was the yeah. first time I'd ever seen something like that. And I was just like, oh, my God. Yeah, it's it's rough. That's <laughs> so brutal. I also recently learned learned about a parasitic barnacle. That uh, oh, barnacles, you guys know as the the weird little lumpy things on rocks and whales and things, and they are technically crustaceans. Huh. So they are related to crabs and lobsters and shrimp and stuff. Um, they're just extremely weird versions of those. They huh. usually stick just onto surfaces and then feed on stuff that floats by. At least one species is a parasite of crabs. Oof. They will get kind of like these different fungus type things they will get into the crab but they don't really go all the way inside they just like they end up being kind of near i think a certain particular joint in the shell the reproductive part will be outside of the crab um the but the inside part they they grow filaments kind of like hyphae they grow through Whoa. the entire crab oh like all my God. inside to control its behavior and or actually not even control it they don't control its behavior they just eat it <laughs> they just take they steal oh nutrients while it's alive. they don't eat it a lot like they just kind of like how a tapeworm would affect that's like just kind of stealing some of the nutrients but in a right. much more like throughout the body Sinister, way not just comprehensive way so if we're all still grossed out <laughs> i'm so sorry this is probably the end of the grossest parts of it as we talk about the real life biology and again remind yourself you are a large vertebrate these things yes. can't do this to you and we're gonna go after the the little break we're gonna have in a second here we're which i mean you're just gonna still listen to us but like we're gonna stop talking about we'll, cordyceps. we'll stop talking about this stuff though um, and then we're gonna go we're, it's called a break but really we're still talking yeah but i don't want you to stop listening either. no no, no it's, a, it's a break, break from a break from the grossness and then when we come back we are going to talk about uh, at least in part the cool ways our bodies prevent this from happening to us yes so as we launch into this fine break, I can think of nothing better to do than to mention a groovy little brewery in Western Massachusetts, which Jake, I don't know if anyone out there would like to join me, uh, maybe. but not you. Maybe no, it incorporates uh, big tank smoke monster, amplifier, acoustics, body moisture, and yeast, a kind of fungus, and time <laughs> to make a particular brand of fermented refreshment that Jake is now sipping on extremely actually, vigorously yeah. called beer. Beer. We're, of course, talking about Four Phantoms. Where would this show be without them? Still here, but not as, as fun. Yeah, here and more painfully sober than ever. Um, <laughs> Four Phantoms, check them out. They're in western Massachusetts, in Greenfield, Greenfield specifically. Yes. And they brew all manner of delicious drafts for you to enjoy. My goodness, they still have Black Birch Doppelbach, which we a, a Black Birch Doppelbach called Tormentor, so which you is can the see beer that Jake I, and I covet from a distance. Say you what? can see why I have, in the last couple of episodes, started out thinking that was the name of the beer and then yes. switched over because the label is next to it and then in huge bold letters <laughs> the type of beer. <laughs> Their Italian Pilsner called Golden Axe, which is another cool cool bit of artwork here i really like it kind of a gloomy abandoned hall with skeletons all over the place and uh, uh an axe shining in a single ray of light very strong DD component to this brand if you've mm -hmm. never heard of four phantoms before combining D, D heavy metal and deliciousness i suppose is one way to put it into their craft uh, Witch Cult IPA, also delicious. I can go on and on. There are a bunch of them. I'm currently sipping. I, I forgot I had a stash in my little fridge 
of some old uh, Worship Doom Imperial Stout. That sounds so, so good. Glad I rationed those. I still have some left. Let's see. This is coming out, what? Thursday? Thursday. So Hopefully yeah. March 2nd-ish, if I can edit fast enough. So this Saturday, March 4th, is Massachusetts Beer Week, a.k.a. Mass Beer Week. They're returning to celebrate local craft beer, and as a special promotion, when you purchase a glass, uh, you can enjoy a complimentary pour in mm. your new mug. So go go to the brewery to do that. Uh, there will be a tavern curling league on the same day from 4 to 8 p.m. If you like curling, uh, I would try it. <laughs> There's a Monday night D&D that they do, I believe, weekly from 6 to 9, but I shouldn't say that out loud. I'm sure going to crash their little club and fuck it all up for everybody. Um, we have been very without guidance on these ads for a while, so we're going to do whatever we want, Drew. <laughs> we're just going wild. Apparently, the Tavern Curling League is a regular thing, so Damn. if you like to curl, if you like to shove a big rock down a thin little strip of ice or whatever with a bunch of brooms so many brooms get your curl on i would rather just clean the shit out of my apartment to be honest (laughs) um with the broom specifically and also maybe shove a rock around i'm just going on and on four phantoms they're great check them out i'm being a little flip right now but it's just because i'm a big dummy and we're tired and i had a whole imperial stout yeah (laughs) we can be forgiven right jake jake gets real fresh when he's had his imperial stouts (laughs) yeah and yeah, we love you guys. We love you, Four Phantoms. So much. And everyone else should too. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you, Four Phantoms. Have we broke? We we done breaked. So Jake, how do our bodies respond to fungal <laughs> pathogens? Let's get back to the coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so we, we've covered the biology of how a fungus do in real life. We've talked about the fungus on the show and in the game, uh, briefly anyway. We've talked about how the fungus is a major part of, of the show at the game. Uh, we've talked a little bit about the specifics of what cordyceps does in real life. We're going to now move on to just what the human body does when a fungus comes a-knocking. Mm. Is it anything like what we see in the show or the game? I sure hope not. Oh, yeah. It's been a few weeks since the episode first came out, but you need only go back as far as episode 172 to hear me talk about our body's immune response situation. Uh, a big part of the conceit of The Last of Us is that fungi can't survive the temperature of a human body. So if a fungus species could evolve to withstand that heat, it'd be all over. And uh, they even like hinted in the show. I'm not sure if it's the same thing. I mean, the, I mean, climate change has been a problem for quite a while. So 2013 would not be too early to be talking about that. But part of the premise is that, oh, as the temperature goes up, these fungi have more thermal resistance. Selective pressures to go that direction and then... Oh, some of them become resistant to heat enough that they now can get into mammal bodies. Ooh. Now, it is true that most fungi can't survive the heat of a human body. That is generally true. Uh, our higher body temperatures are a big factor in keeping many mammals in general safe. It's why bats are falling victim to white nose syndrome so badly in recent years. Species that hibernate, um, they lower their body temperatures of so any kind of mammal that hibernates. Their body temperature goes down while they're dormant. And that gives a fungal pathogen a chance to move in. Now they're not too warm to survive, they can do it. So it's a big part of the reason why white nose syndrome has become so much of a problem. And to be clear, it's not necessarily that the fungus kills the bat directly, but as they are infected, they wake back up and Mm -hmm. they wake up into frost. (laughs) Yep. No food. So it's bad. 
And then to further support our sci-fi premise, rising global temperatures are causing selection from more and more heat-resistant fungus species. Not a great thing. Mm. Um, and that also is translating into increased fungal infections in some of the warmest parts of the mm. world. So that part of the premise is totally already happening. Not great. Yikes. Not great. But our body temperature isn't the only thing standing between the world as we know it and fungal Armageddon. We've evolved oodles of great defenses against stuff that doesn't belong inside of us. We have stuff like, say, if you're, you're breathing, you got there's things in the air. You want to yep. make sure those things say, don't say you're breathing. Imagine, imagine you were to imagine breathe. Imagine if you will. Yes. So if you inhale um, through your nose, you got a bunch of hairs inside I of your did nose. Not inhale. Carry on. <laughs> you got a bunch of hairs inside of your nose. Those are there to actually physically filter out particles from the air. If certain things get in there that don't belong in there, you will sneeze. That will blast that thing back out of your body again. I sneeze typically directly into my mouth. <laughs> it's a difficult thing to do and not ideal, but why it is maladapted to surviving uh, in this particular situation we're describing. Yes. If the things that you breathe in get past that particular barrier and get just into like back into your throat into your lungs even there's a mucus coating on those things mucus is good for a lot of stuff it just kind of keeps things from drying out and cracking so just a general organ lubricant i guess but easy jake uh, but it's also it's also in your trachea your whole your air pipes that whole thing as you get sick and stuff you get more mucus buildup you cough that up you sneeze things like that 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 mucus is there to also catch particles and get them out of you uh, coughing gets it up too so it's a lot of just different ways those are just the purely mechanical ways we get rid of intruders not to mention we have skin yes yeah, skin so as far as things getting into our body that's a whole big barrier that stuff can't really get through at all which is cool so the main entryways are just the orifices we have and breathing is probably the most common like, in out kind of thing we have our main interaction with the world that does that other than eating but we choose what we eat so it's fine as I described in episode 172, we also have white blood cells. So these are special immune cells that destroy intruders or help mark them for death. <laughs> and we have particular groups of them that specialize in fungi. That's their whole thing. They know how to attack fungi. They find one. They go, oh, that's got to get out of here. Uh, aside from that, we also have all kinds of other cool cellular responses to the presence of unexpected spores and such all of which result in either destroying the fungal cells or else physically removing that pathogen out of the body, again, via mucus. So, like, if something's identified, it'll, it'll actually, like, trigger epithelial cells, so surface cells inside of your lungs and stuff. They will be triggered to start pushing a thing in a direction, so then you'll get those particles into the mucus stuff, and then you'll cough it out. So there's just ways to make that go away. Right. Just a lot of the ways we, we deal with fungal pathogens. But pathogen is a vague term. Um, more often than not, we use it to describe disease-causing microbes like bacteria or viruses. But just like with the plant thing earlier, fungi are more closely related to us than they are to bacteria and viruses. So a fungal pathogen is a somewhat more complicated foe to fight than the other stuff we're used to. It means that we really don't have a lot of particularly useful medical solutions. There are some types of fungal diseases like they can... Again, it's rare. There's not a lot of stuff they're getting to you. We'll talk about this towards the end. There's not a lot of fungi out there that actually can do this to humans, but different kinds can get in. They can do a lot of damage. They can just get hold. Some kinds can, in rare cases, fully get into your bones, and then the oh, only Lord. medical solution then is just hospice care. Like, well, oh my God, I never knew we're that. We're going to make you as comfortable as we can. Uh, I'll, I'll, 
we'll be linking to articles and stuff. There's a thing that mentions that a little bit. It's 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 super rare for a thing like that to happen. It's usually in people who are immunocompromised and in a specific part of the world where this thing lives. But like, it's just a deal where Ugh. if a fungus can really get enough of a hold on you, we don't have much we can do, which right. is not dissimilar from the game. So you can't just throw medicine at it and call it a day. It also means our bodies might experience unpredictable reactions to invasion by a weird foreign organism. What's that look like in The Last of Us? What? Maybe we should have done this sooner, but again, if you have never heard of The Last of Us, these infected people, it's its basically a riff on classic zombie horror. Mm-hmm. So once the fungus infects the human host and progressively colonizes the host's body, their physicality and behavior change. But as you might expect... They get increasingly grotesque and violent. Creature designs see human anatomical body plans kind of progressively being overwhelmed by more and more fungal, you know, calling cards, basically. Mm -hmm. So think things like a skull that's been blown open to reveal a large array of like fanned out fungal fruiting bodies or legs and arms kind of covered up with tendrils and mushroom caps and you know you get the idea i will probably not do this justice i'm sure there are folks out there who are about to be unsubscribing from our show because (laughs) i'm not doing the game's lore justice but there are as i understand it three main stages there's others there's others guys i get it i know if there's some hardcore fans out there don't don't come for me please don't cancel me three main stages of uh infection you wrote out four of them there are four main stages of infection. <laughs> they do. I Birth. will say for your, in your defense in the show, they kind of blend the first two together to some extent or the throw. That was the second two and the three second like two yeah. are where I originally wrote three and then forgot that I yeah. updated it. That's okay. The, the two and three um, are kind of considered basically the same in the show. It seems like, okay, if you hear nothing else on this episode, this is the most important part because <laughs> it's the most, <laughs> vital to your understanding of what we've been talking about today but just for fun once you are infected by this stuff you basically are like a mind control human you're still pretty quick and you're still pretty vulnerable to the kinds of things that would incapacitate a person normally but as the infection progresses we're talking like two weeks to a year you kind of like develop into a much creepier more fungally overgrown beast yeah. that still has like a human body plan but is decidedly fungoid so they start out with they call them runners so there's people once they've been infected and their behavior is controlled by the fungus they will just basically run around to try and infect more people in the show they have turned this especially into doing spreading it by biting biting interesting it's, yeah it's I think I'll talk about it a little bit in my last section, but, but why they changed from some of the stuff from the from the game. But um, running around, cool, and then yeah, you mentioned like the idea of they get more and more fungus-like, then they become the next stages. And uh, some of the design there is based on what we see with cordyceps in bugs, how it like bursts out of them and right. makes it weird. And to that end, maybe at least a year of infection, the head is so fully destroyed by the fungus that. This next stage called a clicker. Mm -hmm. They have no ability to see anymore, so I guess they resort to using echolocation to locate things, which that's another question, but that's okay. But why not? I guess it's a creepy concept. Mm -hmm. And finally, over many more years, you may, if you're so fortunate, I guess, at this point (laughs) to have survived this long as an infected person, (laughs) you turn into a bloater, (laughs) which um, so overgrown with fungus that you're just kind of like a behemoth and uh i guess you have like mushroom strength <laughs> yeah basically but you know 
thankfully, we don't have to have a hierarchy of monstrosity <laughs> in real life. Yeah. So let's, yeah, let's let's talk about what we've discussed with how the show is, what Fungus does in real life. Could The Last of Us style Armageddon type thing actually happen? Everybody wants to know. They do. That's why you clicked on this and, and listened to the first two minutes and then gave up. <laughs> So let's let's work backwards a little bit. So let's talk about those four different stages. The idea of as the fungus progresses more, it causes mutations into weirder and weirder versions of a, a human. The art design makes total sense. You see an ant with a mushroom bursting out of its head. And you see like bugs with their bodies largely eaten by a fungus. That looks really cool. So you can right. put that into into um, play with with the character models of your game for the enemies. And it looks really neat. Um, you'll also see like in the show too, even just the intro, like the Game of Thrones style obligatory HBO intro animation on the show. Uh, they have like every possible type of fungus. They have mushrooms, they have slime molds, they got everything. Oh, it really? looks cool. Fungus looks really interesting. Yeah. It doesn't all work quite like that because there's, you know, only one type at a time. Cordyceps isn't every type of fungus, it's just one type. Yeah, it's a good and point. The main thing, like we said, their their life cycle is to get inside the host, control the host enough to then get it into a scenario where it'll help it to spread its spores. In the case right. of a lot of bugs, to get them up high, holding on tight, and then it'll release the fruiting body to get those spores. They're way up high now. They're holding on tight, so mm. they're secure for those spores to then be in a place that they can spread far and wide into the forest below them similar with entomophthora like they're the, the flies go up high so that the these spores have a lot of of ground to cover as they land on future other hosts the goal with any living thing really is to just reproduce make more the goal usually isn't to just like do experiments on a body to see how weird you can make it <laughs> so it's, it's yeah. at this point it's video game logic it makes total sense for a video game it makes total sense for having enemies you have to fight it matches a lot of other tropes we've seen in games. Like it has some Half-Life 2 vibes. They have different kinds of headcrab right. zombies. So there's like there's the right. normal headcrab, there's fast headcrabs, and there's poison headcrabs that make three different kinds of zombies. Very similar to this too. You have normal headcrab zombies, fast ones, and then the poison ones are just like big heavy ones covered in headcrabs that will then like, they're, <laughs> just, they're slow, but they take a lot of damage and then they throw mm. the headcrabs at you. It's, it's, it's again, it's, to be a kind of boss battle thing. Right. You see it in Resident Evil with the different kinds of mutations from the, the different viruses mm -hmm. they have there and how they mm -hmm. make weirder versions of, of zombies for that. All to have different features that make them harder to fight in different ways. Totally makes sense for a video game. Right. Does not it make keeps sense. It fun. Yeah. And that's totally fine. Like it just isn't a thing you would see as much of in real life. You would not see a fungus infection taking over your body and then making you get more and more elaborately like because ostensibly what it's doing is digesting you over time exactly so you would not expect it to become your your what's left of you to become a more and more complex creature right you would expect your host to expire <laughs> yeah the, the term you are what you eat means it's usually meant to like oh you make sure you eat good things it's good for you but it also is literally true the food you eat is the raw materials that make up your body. So in the case I of... I am mostly eggs and chicken. <laughs> and you can tell looking at Wyatt that he is those things. But no, right. I, um, as you eat food that like the proteins and stuff, they, they make up your muscle mass and the different cells in your body. All those, the structures come from the stuff you're eating. 
Same is true for fungus. They eat stuff and that turns into fungus stuff. So as the fungus is eating a living thing, less and less of that thing is left and then there's more and more of the fungus. We see that with those, like the videos we're going to link to of the, the cicada, of the beetle. When the infection gets to that stage, there's nothing left except just the bare minimum left to be able to still move. So mm-hmm. it has like, it's instead of becoming infinitely more powerful and stuff as they go on. The mushroom strength. Yeah, they just, um, they're being yeah. consumed. Really the last of us, it should start with the runners and then end with a little pile of mushroom caps. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so yeah a little different from how things work and then um you know cordyceps in general like they have specialized over time so if we talk about evolution all the time and we talk about the different ways that work it is not a conscious thing it is we often refer to it in certain ways like oh things have evolved to do this but it's really it's the evolution is the name of the result of mm-hmm. a bunch of just random mutations that have maybe had selection events that have like oh this this happens to work out better fewer of this thing have died so they keep making more of themselves and specialization happens that way a lot of this particular genus of fungus has had a lot of success in parasitizing different kinds of bugs they specialize over time to each having their own species of bug that they parasitize that's true for a lot of parasites too there's not really much selective pressure for them to suddenly jump hosts to a much more difficult thing to survive in if they're already doing really well in the hosts they have. Like they have to overcome first the body temperature thing and then all of our immune responses and then just all the different things that are keeping them from being able to do their normal life cycle that they can do very easily in, in bugs. And just to double down on what Jake's saying here so that there is absolutely no chance of confusion whatsoever out there. There was never a time that the ancestor of cordyceps woke up and said, you know what? I'm going to fucking parasitize <laughs> ants now and started working its way towards that. This is just the result of happenstance, chance encounter and selective pressure, which is still miraculous that oh, it yeah. would go in this direction. And furthermore, we see cordyceps as infecting these various hosts and it's so grotesque and it truly yes you don't want to be those bugs <laughs> right but it's also an incredibly specialized organism now to jake's point as well which is that if you are so far down a channel as to infect one particular host and you've got all the kind of like proteins and transmittery type things that are required to hack that host and do this whole thing mm-hmm. you basically have a toolkit for one kind of recipe so it's not impossible that they could change hosts but it would be presumably a very gradual process i mean outside of extremely closely related species i would right. say so maybe like the next most closely related ant to the host ant species would be the most at risk mm-hmm. but there's no guarantee that that species even lives anywhere near the host species so anyway just rest assured you know we're not going to see this happen yes and if you want a little bit more peace of mind consider i mentioned earlier that there are spores on the space station fungal spores get everywhere you can't escape them they are everywhere and that's fine we breathe between a thousand and ten billion spores every single day. Oh my god! Like that's just happening all the time, and you don't really notice it. It's totally fine. We have so many different ways of dealing with that. Like I mentioned before, different things our bodies do to get them out. I experienced some spores this past spring. Back in May, I had COVID, and then that same week, it decided to become ninety-something degrees in Minneapolis, and so. Oh, 
towards the end of the week, as I was getting kind of recovering, I took our ACs out of the basement, put one into our, our bedroom window. And then that night I was coughing so much. I was like, wait, I didn't have any coughing. And like, this was not one of my symptoms for all of my, my COVID time. And I was like, you know, I, this feels different. I'm going to take some, like some Flonase. And I did. And then I fell asleep and it was fine. Flonase. The next morning, I, not a sponsor. The next morning I looked Flonase. at the AC and the entire inside of it was just black with mold. Oh, Jake. I saw it coming, but I'm yeah. so sorry to hear that. That's I gross. Like, oh, I was just blasting spores all over us as we slept. <laughs> but Yo, the worst- dog, you trying to blast some spores? <laughs> But the worst, the worst of it was that I had a tickle in my throat, made me cough, or my chest more so, made me cough until I took an antihistamine, and then I was fine. And then when I turned off the AC, I continued to be fine forever. So you're saying you were infected with black fungus? <laughs> I, I got over it. It was good. Basically, it's it's we have a lot of ways of dealing with with fungal stuff out there, and it's hard for a fungus to be able to do much to us. There are fungal species that can cause infections in humans. They make up point zero zero two percent of known fungal species on the planet mm-hmm. they're out there but there's a huge as we said huge barrier to jump to get to a new host and even bigger barrier to jump to then be able to zombify that new host right and then i, I briefly mentioned the idea that the show decided to change from uh change kind of changed the method of spreading they didn't want to do spores as much in the game you wear gas masks at different times in the show uh, they didn't want to do gas masks because, you know, it's a visual medium watching actors do stuff. You want to see the emotions that they decided, hey, how about it spreads by biting? Because zombie uh, show and why not? And that Also, I imagine the budget is allowably much cheaper. Probably. I don't know how, how much of a difference it makes. It's more the visual of just not having to have gas masks on. That's smart, though. It's a good call. And I also suspect there's probably a degree to which we're like, all right, airborne pandemic do we really care yeah. to just like experience another version of that right now? I think there's I feel probably- like narratively too. It's so much easier with the bite because it's like it's a it's a one zero situation. You either were or were not bit right where spores in the air like as an audience you might be like well how aren't they in that room like where you know it's just Mm -hmm. like you can't see them that's part of the whole problem and it makes it much easier for one of the premises is that ellie is immune and that's Mm -hmm. why she's such an important character and why joel is taking her across the country and stuff and uh it makes it much easier oh she's gotten bitten a couple times you see the scars but they've healed where other people would be turned and yeah again like you said a very easy binary You've been bitten or not been bitten? Are you have you turned into infected or not? And right. uh, with with spores, that'd be more complicated. So changes made for creative reasons, totally understandable. Totally fine. Generally, overall, fungus is a cool thing. It's a weird thing, uh, and it is not a thing that is going to turn you into a zombie. And you should feel good about that. Yeah, pat yourself on the back. You're not <laughs> uh, an arthropod. <laughs> yes. You only have four limbs. Yes. And your skeleton's <laughs> and your on, the on the inside. Right. So thanks for listening along with this whole fun yeah, uh, biology diversion. Slightly different uh, format from our usual episodes, but we do like to dig into the thing that is our main jam, biology. Um, and uh, <laughs> especially when there's, when there's a chance to have a little bit of our evolution soapbox shoehorned in there somewhere. Particularly with such a genuinely spooktacular organism. Indeed. I think the only thing left to do before we leave for the day is give an extra special thank you to our patrons on Patreon. Oh my, that tells me it's time to get the NCAA device out and turn on the old pander function Mm -hmm. such that we can insert these cords into the backs of our heads. Uh And this, of course, 
will allow us to tap into the dark ether to figure out which creatures, cryptids, ghoulies, monsters, otherwise spookies out there, our Patreon supporters need to be on the lookout for. Mm-hmm. We'll first focus in on Michelle, Michelle D. D. of Summersworth, New Hampshire. Oh, Summersworth. Hello. Yeah. Michelle, you need to look out for... Axix. In Egyptian mythology, the Axix are hybrid griffin-like creatures. We're talking heavily muscled. We're talking feline body. We're talking wings of a hawk. <laughs> a feline head and... doesn't say what the body is. A feline head, wings of a hawk, body... Who knows what it might be? Um, oh, yeah, you're right. Oh, wait, no. Body of a heavily muscled feline. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, and the head and wings of a hawk. There we go. We we didn't get the information all quite at once from the NCAA. Sorry about that. Yeah, fragmented download here. The skull of the Axex is adorned with three curved appendages, which some researchers into Axex biology <laughs> have suggested bear a resemblance to the crest found on modern-day roosters. So, take that for what you will. <laughs> yep. um, it's called a comb. This, this also suggests, presumably according to their research, that depictions and the possible human interaction with the Axex were males of the species. So, you know, Michelle, I would be on the lookout for really any kind of foul thing. But especially ancient Egyptian ones that were worshipped as gods. Yeah. And uh, that have other weird body stuff going on. If it's any um, consolation, their habitat is deserts. <laughs> yes. So if you're not in there, and I know for a fact, Summersworth, New Hampshire, not currently a desert. No. So just watch out for those things we said, and you'll be good. <laughs> yeah. And thank, thank you so much you for so your much support. For yes, we appreciate it very, very deeply. We really do. We will now focus on Amanda, Amanda w. w of Haberfield, New, New South, South Wales. Wales. So, Amanda, watch out for Hoga. Hoga. Not to be confused with a type of sandwich in certain parts of the U.S. Yeah. <laughs> guys got any Hogas? <laughs> or maybe a, a po' boy or a hero or what other thing? I don't know. Anyway, uh, Tenochtitlan Lake is home to a, a water-dwelling creature called Hoga. What more do you need to know? <laughs> Except maybe uh, some things about it. A Hoga, not the Hoga, well, has a head and ears resembling a hog. Is it a Haga? Is it a Haga? Yeah. It's only one or, G. Or, as I pronounce it, a Hog. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine that's H O G U E. Yeah. Uh, also, it is the size of a seal or. <laughs> when swimming, it seems to change color from red to yellow to green like a chameleon. It gives birth to live young like a whale does, so it's probably a mammal, not a fish. It's good to know. Hogas are said to live close to the shore where they feed on the leaves of the hoga tree. Well, that's a good sign. <laughs> All right. Uh, they're highly aggressive and dangerous as the Velashif, another strange cryptid from the Lake Tenochtitlan, described as a sanka with a beak. <laughs> I'm sure you mean to say described as sanka with beak. As sanka, I'm sorry, yes. And I definitely didn't mean to say as a snake with a beak. There was no chance of that. Uh, described as sanka with beak. And will kill and eat <laughs> animals larger than them, which is why they are hunted nonstop by humans. We're talking relentlessly. Yes. So if you find yourself in Mexico and you see people hunting the fuck out of a... Shrieking a, the sound hoga over and over. <laughs> yeah. A technicolored whale monster uh, that eats yeah. specific leaves, 
that is when you need to start watching out. Yes. As much as this is a creature that is harmless, that will only eat the leaves of the hoga tree, they are aggressive. You just got to go in any other direction. That's right. And one direction you can go is to our hearts, where we thank you for supporting us on Patreon. I saw that sentence and I had no idea where it was going to go, but it landed in a place that almost made sense. I like it. If you yourself would like to have your name entered into the pander function, you can do so by becoming a patron at any level. Mm-hmm. Supporting the show goes a long way towards us continuing to talk to one another and maintain our <laughs> friendship. Yep. So we appreciate your support very much. Uh, if you donate at literally any level, again, you will get your name into this, but... There's a lot of other fun things that you get for being a patron, including yeah. bonus content, Jake. Discord. Take it away before I <laughs> fall apart. You get Discord access. You get a Belgian beer glass. I will mail you personally. We're pretty much just a super duperstitious Belgian beer glass clearinghouse now. Like, <laughs> yep. there was What's a time <laughs> we were going to limit those. <laughs> we thought, oh, this would be a cool incentive to like get people to sign up because we'll limit it to the first hundred patrons and then... After that, it'll be uh, an annual thing you get as your like your your anniversary gift for being a patron. Uh, everyone will still get one, but you got to it's the, you got to get in fast. We have never reached a hundred patrons, and so everyone has the chance of being the hundredth patron, and everyone will get one until that happens. I am running out. I will need to order more in a little bit. Oh golly! But uh, yeah, you get one. It's cool. It's a Belgian style beer. It's a tulip style glass. It has our logo on it. It's really neat. I think you'll like it. So that's just five bucks a month. You can get all those things. You can things. drink fluid from it. You can. Beyond that, we also have uh, some other cool stuff, merch discounts, other neat things at higher tiers. Check it out. In general, we just appreciate you, and we're going to unplug this from our brains. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you all for listening so much. A, a free way you can support us, not doing the Patreon thing, you can rate and review the show. Or if you want to do yes. a one-time expenditure, you can go to superduperstitious.com slash shop. Mm. Get some cool-ass merch of oh, uh, yeah. t-shirts, hoodies, tank tops, just neat things. A lot of designs. So many designs. We've barely talked about this for a long time. I don't know why. It's really cool, really comfortable stuff. Or you can just tell people about the show. You can just do that. Get swagged up. Yeah, mm-hmm. or just spread the word. Also, please do review us. No one's left a review for a while. Mm-hmm. Makes it sad. Probably because we stopped <laughs> producing the show. That for might a have had an effect, yeah. <laughs> that may have been a factor. But we love those things. Yes. As long as you're not a big old jerk. If I am fast enough in my production of stuff, and I don't know that I will be, but definitely watch our social media. If, not, if I'm not fast enough to get this out by the time this episode uh, goes out, then in the very uh, immediately following days on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, you will see some stuff about what's happening in this this month of March. Uh, oh we'll be going into the mouth or at the mouth of March Madness. Uh, <laughs> there's going to be a bracket. You can fill it out. You can win some stuff. Probably the merch we described. It's going to be neat. It's going to be fun. It's going to be starting in our next episode. Tune in then. Get so hyped up. I know I am. You sound it. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs>